Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll cover a vast portion of 1 Peter once again. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Back to the beginning. Verse 1a, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We titled last week's message, Peter, an apostle. This week's message, Peter, an apostle at work. Peter, an apostle at work. Again, I remind you that apostle means sent one. And the Lord Jesus called his 12 apostles and he sent them out two by two. The Lord Jesus trained them through his own life. He, an itinerant preacher, going village to village, wilderness to wilderness, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then he sending them out to do the same. Then he suffered. Then he died. Then he rose again. Then he ascended on high to sit at the right hand of the Father, telling his disciples to wait till the Holy Spirit comes, and then to go to the people and to preach the gospel. So Peter, an apostle on the move. In review, in review, last time we tracked Peter through the gospels beginning In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, seeing that he's the first apostle to follow Jesus. In Matthew 10, verses 1 through 7, he's the first apostle listed consistently throughout the Gospels. In Matthew 14, 22, he's the only apostle to walk on water, and he retains that distinction. In Matthew 16, 21 through 27, he's the only apostle to rebuke Jesus and to be called Satan. And those are two distinctions that the other apostles are happy not to share. In Matthew 17, we found that he's the first apostle, the inner three apostles at the transfiguration. And these things are back to back. And in that you see amazing grace, saints. That we are saved by amazing grace. We are sanctified by amazing grace. We are kept by amazing grace. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we may colossally blow it like Peter did right there in chapter 16. And then find a mountaintop experience to follow in chapter 17. Just like in Peter's life, the Mount of Transfiguration. And he again blows it up on the mountain. He has to say something. Peter has to say something. Let us build tabernacles for all three of you. And the Lord God, the Father, says, hear my son. Listen to my son, Peter. In Matthew 17, 1 through 13. In Matthew 17, 24 through 27, we find he's the only apostle to pay taxes from the mouth of a fish. In Matthew 19, 27 through 30, the only apostle to ask, what's in it for us? What's in it for us? And we have a new hat and t-shirt business coming because we found that what's in it for them is 100x, 100 fold. It would be a great hat or t-shirt 
100x gains, ask me how. And of course, they're going to assume it's some investment or some business scheme, some multi-level marketing plan, but it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 100x gains. For the Lord Jesus says, whatever you've lost in this world, oh, don't, don't worry it, uh, don't sweat over it, because you will gain a hundredfold. And so that is the promise of the Lord Jesus. Invest wisely, dear friends. Dear brothers, dear sisters, invest wisely in Jesus Christ, for the gains are eternal. Your cold, dead hands will not give them up. In fact, you only receive them when your cold, dead hands give up everything else. The gains are eternal, and the gains are immeasurable with anything in this world. He says, literally in verse 29 of Matthew 19, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So what do you prosper to gain the whole world and to lose your eternal soul? The Lord Jesus says elsewhere. Here you, you gain a hundred X and eternal life. Invest wisely and encourage others to invest wisely as well. You all are now investment advisors. Matthew 26, verses 31 through 46, we find that Peter is the only apostle to foolishly declare total inability to stumble. Not me, Lord, I'll never stumble. And of course, he does tragically stumble. Matthew 26, 47 through 56, he's the only apostle to lop an ear off and to have Jesus put it back on. I was watching a uh, history of Peter's life. And mind you, if you do a Google search or a Bing search or whatever search on the Apostle Peter, you get page after page after page after page after page of Catholicism. The Roman Catholic Church thinks they own Peter. But if you do a YouTube search, you can find some interesting history where they go back to where uh, Peter would have fished and go back to where Peter would have lived, at least the region. Of course, they think they have found Peter's home and, and they've built a Roman Catholic you know, church over it and it looks like a spaceship and all this interesting stuff. But this historian was saying how Peter wasn't trying to kill him. He was trying to defend Peter's character and the character of God. By saying Peter wasn't trying to kill him, he was trying to shame him by chopping off his ear deliberately. And I thought, no, Peter was trying to kill him. (laughs) There's no historical evidence to say Peter wasn't trying to kill him. And when you get the whole panorama picture of what Peter's thinking about the kingdom coming now, and they've come for his king, and Peter having a sword ready, and Peter saying, I'm I'm all in, I'm all in, I'll die with you. you he's, He's going to combat. And fortunately, for all there, the Lord didn't have to put the the man's skull and two halves of his brain back together. Uh, Peter's aim was off, and he took the ear. I cannot join that historian in his thinking that that was a deliberate attempt to slight them rather than kill. But regardless, Peter's the only apostle to lop an ear off and have the Lord Jesus put it back. And then we find, in Matthew 26, 57, Peter is only one of two apostles to follow Jesus to the cross, John being the other. We find in chapter 26, verse 69 through 75, Peter is the only apostle to 
deny Jesus three times with cursing. He's the only apostle to deny Jesus three times with cursing. And again, you see the frailty of Peter. You see the folly of Peter. And you can identify with him in your own life and own flesh. And praise God for his amazing grace to save wretched sinners, wretched fishermen like Peter and wretched sinners like yourself and myself as well. Uh, We are not saved through our works. We're saved by grace alone. We're not saved through our perfect testimony. We're saved by grace alone. Now that, that should not give license to denying Jesus with cursing. May it never be. And I'll tell you how you will never deny Jesus with cursing. Don't presume that you'll never deny Jesus with cursing. And don't claim, I will never deny you. But rather humbly bow before the Lord and call upon him that he would strengthen you, that you would never deny him, but rather proclaim him with joy and with love. Lean upon the Lord, not your own understanding. Lean upon the strength of the Holy Spirit, not your own strength. Peter made that great boast, and the Lord turned him over to his flesh. And in his flesh, like you and I, he failed. We will always fail in the strength of the flesh. We must abide in the Spirit, and the Spirit in us. And then we switch from Matthew's Gospel... Over to Luke, because that's the last mention of Peter in Matthew's gospel. And over in Luke, uh, we find that not only did Peter deny the Lord Jesus with cursing, but on that third denial, when the rooster crowed, the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And again, we considered what that look must have been. And I think it was a look of love and of kindness and perhaps some disappointment mixed in. But regardless, it was not hostility. For Peter was the Lord's and the Lord Jesus was about to die for him and those very sins. Verse 62, so Peter went out and wept bitterly the tears of repentance. Luke 24 verse 12, we find Peter is only one of two apostles who ran to see Jesus' empty tomb. And in John 20 verses 3 through 10, we find that Peter was slower than John, for John won the foot race to that empty tomb. In John 21, we find that Peter is the only apostle to put his clothing on to go swimming and to be told that he would indeed be martyred for Jesus. And there we left off last time, but I cut short. I cut the story short for the sake of time. Not only did the Lord Jesus tell him to get out of the boat, stop fishing. Didn't I tell you you're going to be fishers of men, not fishers of slimy wet things in the sea? Tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? All that went on, and that's all glorious, and Peter's restored, and Peter's established, and Peter from then on is serving Christ valiantly, um, except for this little caveat at the end. After all that, we again see frailty in Peter that should encourage us not, again, to take license, but to praise God for his grace that he uses frail men and women like us. For after all of this glory, 
after all of this story, after all these years walking with Jesus and seeing all these miracles and the transfiguration and blowing it and, and receiving grace and blowing it and receiving grace and blowing it and receiving grace and, and seeing the death and the burial and the resurrected Lord Jesus and then saying, I'm going fishing and being called back out of the boat by Jesus. After all of this, in verse 18 of John 21, Jesus says, Most assured I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. That's where we left off last time. So he told him, he's going to be martyred. You're going to go where you don't want to go. Follow me, Peter. Follow me. And praise God, he does. And we're going to see that today in the book of Acts, how he follows the Lord Jesus valiantly. But before he does, verse 20, then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so Peter and John are seen together continually. They are close, no doubt. And yet Peter hears that he's going to go, and, or he's going to be led where he doesn't want to go, and he's going to die and this is the means by which you will glorify God. Jesus says, follow me. Peter looks around, points at John and says, what about him? <laughs> Peter is so much like us. What about him? We want equity. We want equity. We want, you know, I heard about the 100X, Jesus. I remember that. I haven't forgotten. But how much do I have to lose? How much do I have to suffer to get that 100X? And how much is he going to suffer to get the 100X? Is he going to get the same 100X that I get? When I'm led where I don't want to go and I die in a way I don't want to die, by this I'm going to glorify God? What about him? And that's so human. That's so like us to say, hey, they don't have it as hard as I do. You know, I get that I'm going to suffer and things aren't all going to be great and sunshiny all the time. The butterflies aren't going to be flying and the birds aren't always going to be singing as I follow Jesus. I, I get that. It's been granted to me on behalf of Christ not only to believe, but to suffer for his name's sake. I get that. I read that somewhere. But what about them and them and him and her? Why aren't they suffering like I'm suffering? That is such a human response, meaning sinful. So let us learn from Peter here not to do that. Not to say, what about him? What does Jesus say? If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Thy will be done. Isn't that what I taught you to pray, Peter? Thy will be done. Look, if he's, if he's to never die, even till I return, what is that to you? Have I wronged you? Is that a great inequity against you? What is that, Peter? No, you're going to get a hundredfold in eternal life, Peter. That's what I told you, and it's true. And that's what he's going to get as well. Even should he be kept alive, remain till I come. And what is that to you? So when you're thinking about all the inequities, you've got a rough lot. 
right? It's not hers or his or whatever. You, you didn't get what they got, and they didn't get what you got. <laughs> Remember the Lord Jesus' words to Peter. What is that to you? And just remember that in general. The Lord does not put on kid gloves, right? Get behind me, Satan. That's, that's pretty powerful. And what is that to you? He doesn't say, oh, Peter, come on, it's, it's okay. Now, what is that to you? He puts Peter in his right place. So let Jesus put you in your right place when you're complaining in your heart, in your mind, if not with your lips, when you're complaining in your emotions, feeling like you got a bad deal. What is that to you when you think you've got a bad deal compared to someone else? How does anyone in Christ get a bad deal? 100x gains and eternal life. A child of God forever. Under the love of God forever. Forgiveness of sin. You're not going to hell. Is that a bad deal? Jesus took hell for Peter. Just days before this, he just died. He just took the fullness of the wrath of the Almighty, died and rose again. And Peter's worried about equity. Was the cross fair? Jesus taking eternity's wrath that you deserve, is that fair? How dare us worry about equity? I'm not getting my best life now. Or John got a little better life. I mean, he suffered and all. You know, he was on Patmos for a while. Oh, we don't want equity. We want grace. We want mercy. And we want to walk the course the Lord has set for us. And not worry about everyone else's course. Being better in our eyes than the one that we are on in God's providence. Don't forget those words. Those precious five words... What is that to you? (laughs) Kind of reminds me of Romans 9. I'm the potter, you're the clay, get out of my seat. What is that to you? All right, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, an apostle on the move. Acts chapter 1, an apostle at work. Peter, an apostle at work. Acts chapter 1, the former account, written by Luke, of course. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had been given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So he has Suffered, died, he has risen, conquering sin, Satan, and death, and they expect the kingdom to be now. Now? Now, Lord? And he says, essentially, no, not now. And it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own 
authority. Verse 9, now when he had spoke these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Can you imagine their consternation? They still hold out, held out hope up to that point that the kingdom was now, that the king was going to go and take over Jerusalem now and rule and reign now. And nope, he just left. He ascended on a cloud. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem for the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And what do you find there? You find Peter at the helm of the list, as always, leading them in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Look to Acts chapter 1. Verse 15, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those arrested, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. And so we see in Acts 1, verses 1 through 14, Peter's the first apostle listed in the upper room. We see in Acts chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, Peter's the first apostle to stand up and lead. In Acts 2, 14, Peter is the first apostle to preach to the crowds at Pentecost. He's the first to preach in the fullness of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Acts 2.14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them. I, I don't condemn teaching at all in a normal voice. and I don't condemn, at times, preaching in a normal voice. But there are those that condemn preaching with a raised voice. Any level of passion, any level of enthusiasm is not to be seen, not to be heard, is wrong even sinful. And hear me, that's religion. That, that's not biblical Christianity. That's not biblical preaching. That's religious man putting religious airs on and saying, that's not proper. He raised his voice. One, so they could hear. But two, because these things are worth getting excited about. These things are worth preaching, which isn't just a teaching. It's an authoritative declaration of the Word of God. You need to hear this. You need to heed this. You need to obey this. You need to receive this. You need to go declare this. It's preaching. It's not a mild-mannered man standing before mild-mannered men encouraging them to be more mild-mannered in Jesus' name. You know, just like Jesus was. And so Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, stood up, raised his voice, and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. It's not, you know, take it or leave it. We saw some stuff. We experienced some stuff. It was interesting. You may like it. You may not. We got this Jesus guy. 
No, no, it, it's preaching. This is something worthy of shouting from the rooftops. Preaching. Acts 2.37, the response to the preaching we find there in Acts 2.37, and we find that the, Peter is the first apostle to call men to repent and to follow Jesus. Acts 2.37-39, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now I don't have time to fully unpack those words of Peter there, but I, I want to warn you that cults abuse them horrifically. You need to interpret Scripture with Scripture and not take Peter's words there in this narrative text and make them uh, another gospel. That through baptism, Catholics love this, oneness Pentecostals love this, and they make baptism to be the means of salvation, baptismal regeneration. It's a heresy. That's not what Peter was teaching here. Because that's not what the rest of Scriptures teach, nor is it the rest of what Peter teaches in the rest of Scripture. So repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. How many will be saved through the preaching of the gospel? As many as the Lord our God will call. So Peter was the first Calvinist. No, no, Jesus was the first Calvinist. Maybe Calvin believed Jesus about the sovereignty of God. Maybe Calvin believed Peter about the sovereignty of God. Maybe Calvin believed Paul about the sovereignty of God. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't call it Calvinism, but just biblical doctrine. That as many as the Lord our God will call, will come. Acts chapter 3, we find that the apostle Peter is the only apostle recorded to make the lame walk and leap. In Jesus' name. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, Peter and John, always together, dynamic gospel duo, Peter and John going to the temple, he asked, for alms. Verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is awesome. Awesome. This this lame beggar asked Peter for alms. And Peter said, silver and gold I have none, but this I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 25, we find that Peter is one of two apostles to be first arrested 
for preaching the resurrected Jesus. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, and being greatly disturbed, they had taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody. They were greatly disturbed. Greatly disturbed. We are all too concerned to not disturb a God-hating culture and the God-hating authorities in that culture. Oh, let us be concerned that we disturb the Lord, that we greatly disturb the Lord through our disobedience and not proclaiming from the rooftops the resurrected Jesus and his glorious gospel. So they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening, verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So even though they were arrested, the gospel was not arrested. The gospel went forth and brought life, as faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Verse 5, it came to pass in the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, by what power and by what name have you done this? By what power? By what authority? What, what name? You know, who, who gives you the right to do this, to go preaching boldly in our land? Verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. Now don't miss the boldness there. By the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a name that now was well-known and either loved by a few or hated by the masses. The, the name and the person that you crucified. By his name, the name of Jesus, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which is rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Oh, that is an application of Scripture rebukes them and reveals their hardness of heart and blindness of eye as they reject the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so they dealt with their sin. Look, you crucified him. You murdered him. It's his name and his authority that we are under, his name that we're preaching. And you must be saved through his name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Oh, they, they stood on the name of Jesus. Stand on the name of Jesus, saints. Defend and declare the name of Jesus, saints. Never pull back from Jesus. And so when you pray, you pray in Jesus' name. Do not leave Jesus' name off. You have... No claim upon God. No claim upon the throne room of God. No claim upon going to God in prayer except through Jesus. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And we say in Jesus' name, not just as a little 
addendum, not just a little addition, but declaring that Jesus is our Savior, that Jesus is our Redeemer, that Jesus is our Mediator, and the world should hear the name of Jesus. We're not praying to some generic God. We're not Jews praying to Yahweh while being rebels against Yahweh, the Christ. We're not Muslims who claim to believe the Bible and yet blaspheme the one true God, perverting his character and nature. We're followers of the one true God of Holy Scripture, the only God who exists, the God who created us and came into his creation through the womb of the Virgin Mary, Jesus. In verse 13, verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Verse 17, so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. And from now on, that they speak to no man in this name. Shut down the name. They're always wanting to shut down the name of Jesus. Then and now, throughout all history, shutting down the name of Jesus. Bring the name of Jesus into it. Bring the gospel into it. The very name Jesus means Savior. Such an offensive name. You can have a whole lot of God talk. People let you get away with it. Religious talk, moral talk. But bring the name of Jesus. Bring the name. For there's no other name under heaven given among men but which you must be saved. Moral, political conversation is not the gospel. It can lead to the gospel and you should use it to that end. Jesus. Why is there truth? Why is there morality? Jesus. And so bring it to the name of Jesus and bring the name of Jesus to the world. So let us severely threaten them. That from now on they speak to no man in this name. So Peter's going to get severely threatened. How's that going to work? Verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Verse 23, being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. Then they prayed and they said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ, for truly... Against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, if you're not catching it, in that prayer, they just said, you're the God of creation. You're the God of providential, sovereign control over all things. You were in control in the trial and the death of Jesus, and you're in control now. That's really what they're praying. Verse 29, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now, this is a great day for Peter. This is a great day for Peter. This is a day where Peter is full of the Holy Spirit, where he is threatened, and these people have the means to make good on their threats. They put Jesus to death. They have the means to make good on their threats. This is Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin. And yet, 
They prayed that the Lord would look on their threats and grant to them, his servants, that with all boldness they may speak your word. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. This is Peter the Apostle, the other apostles, the early church, full of the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and what's the result? They spoke the word of God with boldness. Do you want to know if you're full of the Holy Spirit or not? What are you doing with the name and the word of Jesus? When we're full of the Holy Spirit, we make much of Jesus and his word in the earth. No matter what the world says, no matter how the world would shame it or outlaw it. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we find that Peter's the first apostle to conduct church discipline and clearly declare the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. Was that the sin? No. Here's the sin. His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your own heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And so, hey, it's all good to own the property. It's all fine to sell the property and make the proceeds. What's not fine is to come into God's house and say, look, we had the property. We sold the property. Here's all the money for the property to the glory of God. Who's really getting the glory? Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied. And they didn't just lie to Peter or to the church. Peter said, You have not lied to men, but to God. Peter said, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And so Peter here clearly declares the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And Peter also is conducting church discipline. Ananias drops dead. They carry him out. His wife was not with him initially. She comes later. Peter asks her, did you sell the property for such and such a price? She says, oh yeah, yeah, we gave it all to the glory of God, for the work of the gospel. Look at that. She said, yes, for so much. Verse 9, Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. God is not looking for us to be his PR people. Trying to put a Shiny spin on the word of God, a shiny spin on God himself. God is holy. And the beginning of the knowledge of God, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. This is the first church discipline. The first church discipline was death. And it was the hand of God that rendered it. But Peter, Peter was also used of God to conduct this church discipline for the purity of God's church. And great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things, and that was healthy. In Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 32, we find Peter is the only apostle said to heal by his shadow passing over the sick. Verse 15, it says, So that they brought the sick out in the streets, 
laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And that's why I say said, because it doesn't actually say that it healed them, but perhaps they surmised that it would heal them, and perhaps it did heal them. It's just not certain. It's not clear. If God willed that his shadow passing by them would heal them in Jesus' name, then it did. But it was at least said. Why was it said? Because Peter was healing people. Peter was healing people, much like Jesus was healing people. As verse 12 says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were, with all, uh, they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And so he is the only apostle said to heal by his shadow passing over the sick. In Acts chapter 15, verse 17 to 32, we find Peter's the first apostle to articulate this, quote, Defiance of tyranny is obedience to God. Acts 5, 17-32. The high priest rose up and all those who were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and they put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So why were they arrested? Because they were preaching to the people all the words of this life, the Christian life, the gospel life, Jesus' message. So they're arrested, and an angel goes and springs them from jail and says, go back and preach some more. Verse 21, and when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought Verse 22, but when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported saying, indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. So they were sternly rebuked by the authorities. Verse 29 But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Oh, brothers and sisters, when it comes to declaring the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we ought to obey God rather than men. Err on the side of obeying God rather than men. We need to be as agreeable as possible and not looking for conflict, and yet we've been told to go there for and preach Christ publicly. That is the command of God, and he has all authority in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples. And so we are to do that. And most of the church isn't doing that because um, some people don't like it. Atheists don't like it. Hindus don't like it. Muslims don't like it. You know what Muslims do around the world? You know what they do, even in the United States? They preach Islam publicly in the open air. You know what they did down on Fort Bliss 
an army base, where I was stationed for a little while as a Marine, going to school there. Every day, they played the Muslim call to prayer and then their prayers over the loudspeakers on a U.S. army base on U.S. soil because we had Muslim soldiers from somewhere on the planet there being trained as allies. And yet, imagine if the gospel had been on those loudspeakers in that base. Do you think there would have been a hue and a cry? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so we obey the Lord. We go, therefore, and make disciples. We preach the gospel in the open air, in the city center, wherever the people are gathered. We are to unleash the word of God. And when the authorities say, oh, you, you cannot do that, ultimately our answer is we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, that doesn't mean that we do it at 2 a.m. while people are sleeping. There are certain reasonable parameters. That doesn't mean we interrupt things that are going on so they cannot carry on their open-air wedding that they're having in the summer in this beautiful place or, or their sports event. We hijack it. But before, after, outside of it, those are all completely reasonable. Uh, we even, during the Great Eclipse, Anyone remember that? The great eclipse. And it was pretty awesome, the big eclipse here in the Portland area. It was global, of course, but we are in the Portland area. And it was a full eclipse. And uh, the sky was surreal. It was interesting. And the pagan response down in Portland was surreal. And people were out by the tens of thousands. And we preached the gospel all up and down the riverfront. But you know what we did not do? We did not preach the gospel during the actual eclipse. We stopped about five minutes before and waited at least five minutes after to begin again. Why? Because this is a once in at least a long while, if not a lifetime experience. And we wanted them to be able to experience what? The glory of God in creation. Let creation talk a bit. (laughs) But that's the big event. That's what they were there for. We weren't going to deliberately offend them by stepping on the big event. But when it was over, we began to preach again. Were people offended anyway? Oh, yes. The demoniacs were out in full force. It was a wild, wild gospel scene. But the gospel went forth up and down the riverfront, and thousands and thousands heard, and the word of God will not return void, praise God. And so Peter and the other apostles said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. That's boldness. These people have the authority to put them to death. And Peter says, we ought to obey God rather than men, and you murdered Jesus. Verse 31, him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. That's law. That's a call to repentance. And that's the gospel. And that's what we are to do yet today. Peter is full of the Holy Spirit and evidencing it well. Verse 32, and we are his witnesses to these things. As Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. And we are witnesses to these things. And also, so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 43, we find that Peter's the first apostle to raise the dead. Tabitha or Dorcas became sick. She died. Peter is called Peter goes, verse 40, Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. 
Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. And so he raised up Tabitha from the dead. In Acts 10, 1 through 23, we find Peter's the first apostle to eat southern food. Pork, catfish, shrimp, and whatnot. Acts 10, 1 through 23. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So what was he? He was a convert to Judaism. Uh, but he was not a Christian. About the ninth hour, verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come before have come for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey, drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. And this is consistent with Peter. Is it not? Peter's a man of conviction. Wrong or right, he stands by his conviction, even against the Lord sometimes. We need to guard ourselves from that, right? It's good to be people of conviction, but our convictions need to be beneath the Lord. This is a religious conviction, and yet it's not beneath the Lord because the Lord now is revealing to him miraculously, not so, Lord, he says to the miraculous revelation, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, what God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times. Isn't it interesting, three times? Why do you think three times? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because Peter's thick. <laughs> Maybe because Peter denied Jesus three times. So the Lord thought three times might get his attention. Why did the Lord Jesus ask him, if you love me, three times? Maybe because Peter's thick, and maybe because Peter denied him three times. There's a consistency here. There's a pattern here. Maybe because you and I are thick. <laughs> so three times. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had seen, meant, behold, the men who had seen uh, had been sent from Cornelius, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And so the Lord is working all this out in a very providentially perfect, timely manner. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been coming had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? 
And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, who was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. All right, there's more to that story. But let us jump to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, and we'll pick it up there a bit. It says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. When Peter came into Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, What? You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. You ate southern food. I mean, Gentile food. You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners. And it came to me when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth, but the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, call for Simon, his surname is Peter, who will tell you words for which you and your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he has given us, as he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Now a little caveat here, the same gift, the same gift as when we at Pentecost. Well, what is the same gift? Actual languages, not ecstatic speech, not angelic language, actual languages. Languages declaring the glories of God. And so as you track through Acts, you find the first use of glossalia or tongues to be actual languages of all the people, a missionary gift to declare the glories of God. And then you find through the book of Acts, yes, people receiving this gift, and it's described as that, the same as that which we received. And thus, it is actual language consistently throughout the word of God. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And they didn't return to that rebuke of Peter. Peter, not only did you go into them, but you ate with them. No, that that has fallen away. Why? Because what the Lord has cleansed, don't call common or unclean. In Acts chapter 12, we find the apostle Peter is the only apostle known to have been sprung from prison by an angel in the night. Okay, there there was that whole group, but this is a a bit different in that Peter here uh, is sleeping, thinks he's seen or he's in a dream. He he, he is let out and then he realizes, no, I'm, I'm awake. I'm awake. Verse 11, when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So Herod had stretched out his hand to harass and torment the church, and he killed James, the brother of John. He seized 
Peter arrested him, and the Lord sent an angel to rescue Peter out. Peter is let out in somewhat of a trance, comes to himself, realizing, oh, this is, this is real. The Lord has sent an angel to rescue me. And then he goes to the church, and verse 16, Peter continued knocking. He's knocking. They're inside praying. So Mary and, <coughs> and others are gathered, and they're praying. And uh, Peter's at the door knocking, and they're praying for him to be released, but they won't let Peter in. He just keeps knocking. Again, the timing is profound and glorious. So Peter continued knocking, verse 16, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. I'm sorry, I skipped in verse 15, that when they realized it was Peter at the door, they thought it was his angel. They thought it was a ghost. Um, so they're praying with great prayer that the Lord would rescue Peter out of prison. Peter gets rescued out of prison. That can't be Peter at the door knocking. It must be his ghost. (laughs) The frailty of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us pray with faith. And when the Lord answers, let us not doubt, but receive the answer with faith. What a unique experience. The end of that whole deal, uh, Herod dies uh, from Worms eating it from the inside out in the end of chapter 14, verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. So the world through all the wrath they could muster against Christ and his church and the gospel prevailed. The word of God grew and multiplied. In Acts 15, we find the Apostle Paul is the first apostle to clearly declare God's grace for the Gentiles to stand dogmatically against Judaizing apostasy at the Jerusalem Council. I don't have time to go into the details of that, but tragically, tragically, he goes from being the first apostle to clearly declare God's grace for the Gentiles and to stand dogmatically against Judaizing apostasy to being rebuked by the Apostle Paul to his face, as Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 records, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. He went kosher again. He wouldn't eat off that sheet that the Lord had brought down three times. He went kosher again, wouldn't eat with those Gentiles. He withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with them, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now get this. This isn't just about eating. Verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Skipping down to verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, in this case dietary restriction, then Christ died in vain. Next chapter, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Judaizing had come to the Gentile church and Peter had been caught up in Judaizing. 
I mean the Galatians church. Peter had been caught up in this Judaizing. Peter, who had once valiantly stood against Judaizing, had valiantly stood for the truth that God had revealed to him, now had capitulated back to this law-based behavior, this mixture of law and gospel. We need to guard ourselves from that Oh, saints, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. No mixture of grace and works. Not grace and faith plus baptism. Not grace and faith plus communion. Not grace and faith plus dietary restrictions. Not grace and faith plus church attendance. Not grace and faith plus anything. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ and His finished work alone that we are saved. And there we stand, redeemed, born again from above, defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the apostle Paul had to go and rebuke Peter to his face, correcting that Judaizing. But praise God, Peter, as he had evidenced so many times before, he may blow it big, but he repents big because Peter is born again. Peter is a trophy of amazing grace. Peter is not an example of works righteousness. He's an example of righteousness imputed to him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ. And the Lord will not let him go. The Lord continues not only to restore him, but to make him useful for the kingdom of God. And Peter goes on to write 1 Peter and 2 Peter after all of this. After receiving the rebuke from Paul, Peter writes in his second epistle that all of Paul's writings are Scripture. Holy Scripture. And he evidences once again that he is full of the Holy Spirit. And thus, when he fails, thus when he falls... Thus, when he errs, he repents and gets right humbly before the Lord and presses on with the church, with his fellow apostles, in the work of the gospel. How does Peter's amazing life end? Well, as we said last time, it ends, as we understand it from extra-biblical sources, not inspired and errant to preserved, but extra-biblical historical Records indicate that he was crucified upside down. As the Lord Jesus clearly said, he would be led where he did not want to go. It seems when he got there, it was a cross, that he did not consider himself worthy to die as his Lord. Thus, he requested to be crucified upside down. Thus ends our introduction of Peter's flawed, beautiful life of God's amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this testimony. We thank you, Father, for your grace upon Peter, our elder brother, and your grace upon us. And we ask now, Lord, as we celebrate the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, that you bless this time as we remember, O Lord, the only hope for our salvation, Jesus' accomplished redemption at the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.